You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. The issue is we're in a great series this month on learning to recalibrate our soul. And it's kicked off so well last week here by Pastor Simeon. He and Jess are at Northwest this morning. We pray for them this morning. As Pastor Darren brings your word, as uh, Todd leads the worship, God, we pray an outpouring of your spirit on our campus up there at the Northwest. We don't dare pray for jets or uh, nights since they lost. Anyway, amazing grace. And Pastor Jez preached it at Northwest. Heard you kicked it out of the park, kicked a goal, which is awesome. I think Darren even got set free last week, he said. But listen, I I actually believe it's one of the most crucial series we do during the year. Now, I know I'm biased, but the reason is this. It's when we stop, we wait, we listen to regain strength. And if we don't do that, we empty. We just get emptied. And if you're in the service last Sunday when... uh, Yet you'd have clearly heard my response when Simeon said, who likes to wait? No. My resounding, no, I think waiting is evil. I think lines are purgatory. I think not moving is hell. I get impatient with the microwave that it doesn't finish quick enough. I get angry at the kettle that it's not instantly boiled. Um, I hate red lights. Janet will tell you that our biggest arguments don't happen because of spending or disagreement over what to watch on television or where to go on holidays. We have the worst fights because she makes me wait. (laughs) Have you ever seen the Dulux commercial where a couple are going out to dinner and the husband's standing, waiting, waiting, waiting. The wife walks out, looks in the mirror. I think I'll go change my dress. And he says, I think I'll fix the door. She comes out again, looks again, goes... I think I'm going to need to go do this. He said, I think I'll paint the door. (laughs) I live with that. We have two vehicles, not because we can, but because we must to stay married. So I I even have these discussions with God, and he doesn't, uh, you know, I said, God, why do you make me wait? Why don't you, you know, you say you do stuff suddenly. Suddenly is a thousand years. I just rant. He just listens. But uh, the point was rightly made last week by Pastor Simeon, waiting is essential for our transformation and our spiritual formation. You don't wait, you don't grow. And it's something I I not only had to accept, but to embrace, which is not easy for a mover. Great things happen in the wait room, as he called it last week, like we draw close to God. Uh, We see ourselves as we are and what we're becoming. We're in the mirror, his mirror. We get new strength. We remove the clutter and the noise all around us and just get along with him. And, and, and it's something I had to learn in the waiting. But there's something powerful that happens in the waiting because it's when we wait on purpose. Interesting. Waiting doesn't just mean I sit around doing nothing, twiddle my thumbs and go, I'll be glad when this waiting period is over. Waiting's when we recalibrate. You know what recalibrate means? It means to adjust. It means to refresh. It means to restart. We restart our life in the wait if we do it right. 
And and I want to say to you that we see this so clearly in the life of Jesus. He deliberately blocked out the noise. He cleared the clutter. He got away from the crowds just so he could spend time with his father. Period. You got to think about this. Previously, in his previous life, in eternity, he was never separated from God. Now, all of a sudden, he's got a body and he's going, "Ah, what is this? You go, no, no, Jesus never felt frustration. I beg your pardon. It says in Hebrews that he suffered every temptation like us. There must have been times he went, God, where are you? And he had to get alone. Spent quality time with him. Because, listen, it was in that time, I believe, that the Father kept giving him clarity and conviction of what he was there for. Just remember, son. Just remember, son. His purpose was found in waiting, so he waited on purpose. Interesting. You think we're just giving you a month off by calling it a month of rest. We're trying to get within our soul the necessity of decluttering, waiting on purpose. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 4. I got revelation reading Luke chapter 4 one day. I mean, I get a lot of revelation out of Luke chapter 4. But as you turn your Bible, let me give you the background Out of Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. The Father speaks. He goes immediately into the wilderness. That alone is like, "Ah, after this major high, you go in to face the devil for 40 days and you got no food. He comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, the Bible tells us, Luke 4. He goes home to Nazareth. It's worship day. He goes to church, which is called synagogue. He rocks up in the synagogue and all of a sudden the opportunity comes forward and he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he reads Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and so on. Scrolls it up, sits down, and they all look at him like, how dare you? They didn't just look at him like, huh? Like, you're looking at me now. Huh? They look at him intently. They want to kill him. They literally drive him out of the synagogue, through the city, to the edge of a cliff to kill him. Drive him over the cliff and kill him. It's a bad day when people want to kill you after a sermon. Bad day. And then the Bible says that he walked right through the crowd and just, I mean, he walked right through them. Now, I don't know about you, I get curious in the unsaid, don't you? Like, how did he do that? Did all of a sudden Jesus just disappear? And he went invisible. And they go, where'd he go? Who touched me? I don't know who touched me. And he walked right through them. Or was it like Independence Day movie? Like the aliens with the bubble around him, you know? He's got this other world bubble and they go to touch him. And he just walks right through them. I don't know. Don't tell me you don't think things like that when you read the Bible. Do you? Yeah, all right. I knew it wasn't just me. He walks through the crowd after this bad experience. He goes around the, the Sea of Galilee to the city of Capernaum. And all of a sudden, this is where Peter is from. Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Jesus touches her, bam, and he heals her. And then the people of the city go, wow, and they start bringing everybody who's sick, everybody who's demon-possessed. And it goes all day long, and it says that every person that Jesus touched was healed. And you go, fire out. How good is that? Now, that's the backdrop to what we're about to read. So we go to Luke chapter 4, verse 42. Now when it was day, so this thing went all through the day, they sleep through the night, the next day comes, Jesus departs and he goes into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. 
But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Watch this. Because for this purpose, I have been sent. And Luke records, then he went preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Can you see what's going on here? Jesus made it a priority to take time out. Even the Son of God needed time out. And the deal is this. This is right on the heels of a successful ministry. He is incredibly busy, but he's not too busy to take time out. My question is, are you just too busy to wait? Because if you are, you're just too busy. This needs to be a rhythm of life. You are not that important that you can't spend time with God. Listen to me. He gave you that time. You better use it right. Let me move on. The other thing you'll see in this is that he connected with his father. He didn't just take time out and do nothing. He didn't become a couch potato. This is where he communed with his father. Now listen, all you got to do is go to John. I was skimming through John the other day. How many times the father is mentioned in the book of John? Jesus talks about the father, the father, the father, the father. But you know what he said? One of the most important things he said in John was this. The things that I do, I only do them because I see my father doing them. When did he see that? When he was alone with his father. This is where he communes with his father, but he hears and he sees, hey, this is what my dad is on about. So this is what I'm going to be on about. But the other thing that happens here, his purpose was constantly made clear. Very clear. And it's in this time along with his father that he says, this is the reason for my life. Like, like Jesus could have easily looked at him, God, why did you put me in a body? John says in John 1, and, and he became flesh. That's a weird, we look at it and go, yes, yeah, so he was born. No, 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 no. God himself took on flesh. How strange would that have been from him? Because back in the recesses of his mind, he could probably remember sitting up in heaven and saying a word and flinging stars into a universe. Now all of a sudden, that's a distant memory. And he's gone. I can't even hardly fling dirt. What's this? What, what, what am I doing this for? I don't know about you, but you have moments in your life where you go, God, what am I here for? Jesus, in those moments, would have just heard his dad talking to him. Let me reread this to you in the New Living Translation and just give you a couple of pieces of revelation I picked up out of this a number of years ago, actually. <clears throat> Verse 42. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. That's a point in itself. Switch off the noise. Get out of the rat race. Don't go to a place where you know you're going to be distracted. The crowds searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must. You know, some people think it's dirty to just be so directive. You must do this. And Jesus said, well, I must. I know what my father's told me. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too because that's why I was sent let me tell you one of the revelations I saw out of this passage and it was this that Jesus life was ordered by something higher listen to me the tyranny of the urgent did not hijack his day I don't understand why people can't go 30 minutes without their phone 
Are you that important? The world's going to collapse. A nuclear war is going to occur if you don't answer that phone. It's so funny what Simeon said last week. You know, he said, I remember my parents never having those things. We grew up in a day where those things didn't exist. And we, we got on well. Life was good. And the issue is that there are things around our world that will clutter in. They're supposed to make our world easier. What they've actually done is made our world fuller. And the deal is Jesus is not letting something hijack his time and his attention. Jesus was directed by something higher, listen, than even the needs of the people around him. I, I, I got corrected by the Lord one day waiting on him. I, the phrase went through my head because people say it often, well, ministry is about the people, you know. It's not about the church. It's not about the organization. It's not about, it's not about the structure. It's not about the programs. It's about the people. So I said, you know, God, ministry is about the people. And he just spoke to me so clearly, so quickly and said, no, it's not. I went, okay, then what's it about? He said, it's not about the people. It's about me. It's about me. Because if you're doing it for the people, then maybe you don't need me. See, I never change, but they will. One day the people will love you, the next day they'll want to kill you. But I never will. I'll always love you. It's about me. You're ministering for me. And Jesus wasn't, he wasn't driven by the needs of the people. Listen, he wasn't even driven by his own needs. Well, you remember it was in an alone time with his father when he's praying and he said, oh, could you just kind of take this away from me, but, now that was a human moment, okay, don't doubt that Jesus was human, that was a human moment, could you take this away from me, and he said, but, immediately, it's not what happens to me that's important, it's what you have ordered, that's important, his own needs at that moment didn't take first place, he had an amazing, think about it, he had an amazing ministry the night before. Everyone brought to him was healed or delivered. Imagine being in a meeting or a service where everybody you prayed for had such an encounter with God that their life was changed. You'd go, whoa. So all of a sudden, people are searching for him everywhere, and they find him, and they begged him to say, we need you. You're the man. No one teaches like you. Nobody can help us like you do. You've got to stay. And he goes, yeah, no. You know why? There will always be more needs than we can meet. Listen to me. We were in, uh, I was in a college class a number of years ago. I can now say decades ago. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? And the professor asked us, define the call. What does it mean to be called by God and what determines that call? Every one of us in that session said that the number one issue that defined a calling from God was need. That's when the professor told us that if that were the case, then all of us would be called to China or India, because that's where the most needs are. And listen to me. While needs are certainly part of the call, they cannot determine the calling of God. The, the, the people needed Jesus to stay with them and continue to minister to their needs. And I want to tell you, it would have been flattering to his soul. Oh my goodness, my hometown wanted to kill me and these guys love me. They want to set up the Jesus First Ministries. We can have crusade every day. They'll bring people from far and wide. They're begging me to stay. They need me. 
Did you know there's an innate characteristic built within each one of us? It's the need to be needed. You know it's wired, it's hardwired within you and you don't even realize it? Just, just Google it. See how many psychology pages appear about your need to be needed. And, and I'm not saying it's wrong to meet someone's needs. What I'm saying is that it's wrong to meet their needs so that I feel important or good about myself or that I've got a purpose. I don't find my purpose in meeting needs. I meet needs out of my purpose. Listen to me. This is important. Meeting needs didn't decide Jesus' call. There, there's something more than the needs of people around him, even his own needs, that determine where he goes, what he does, his movements, everything. And it was in the time he spent with his father, it was clarified for him. And he could say, hey, listen, listen, you want me to do that, but... I've come because of this. How did he know that? He got alone with his father. He shut out the clutter of the day and didn't let others determine his schedule. Listen to me. And, and you can go, well, listen, when Jesus got alone with the father, was he rested and refreshed when he spent time with him? He must have been. Especially after a hectic time in ministry, he would have been drained. I'm telling you, when, when you put out to serve people and meet their needs and minister to people, you walk away from there like you've just played Serena Williams in a match. Although, you shouldn't say that after last night. Um, you just, you feel invigorated, but you feel drained. And you need time to re-energize. And Jesus would have been re-energized when he got alone with his father. You just track in the book of John how many times he did that. What happened after that? You could say, was his purpose clarified during that time? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, I, I often wonder, I can't prove this. It's, again, it's just my brain, curious. Sometimes in those alone times, those desert times, did Jesus go, listen, Father, you sure we got this right? I, I'm not feeling the love. I, I, I don't think it's kind of kicking along. I had to send the guys fishing the other day to get a coin out of the mouth of the fish so I could pay taxes and not get thrown in jail. And yet, you're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Where is it? I'm sure he had those doubtful moments as a man. And I'm sure he had to get alone with his father where his father could say, son, come on. Listen, you know who you are. Because you see, our purpose doesn't come from need, meeting a need or being needed. Listen, purpose flows out of who we are. Our life's purpose comes from who the Father says we are. Let me say it that way. And, and we get a glimpse of this on one occasion when Jesus got away from the crowd to be with his Father. He takes this time, only time. He says, I'm going to let the guys see in what happens when I'm alone with Dad. Only this time. And isn't it funny? They messed it up. But he took them because he wanted them to see. So he takes Peter, James, and John's up on, uh, Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. And it's called the Mount of? Wakey, wakey. It's called the Mountain of? Oh, come on, wake up. It's called the Mountain of? Thank you. I'm just getting you awake. Blood flowing, brain ticking. Mount of Transfiguration. They fall asleep. 
as usual. It's so tiring, day, I'm drained, and they fall asleep. Jesus is praying. They look up, boom, there he is glorified in his glorified state. Oh, we've got to build three churches here. There's one for the church of Jesus, the church of Elijah, and the church of Moses. We've got to do it like this. The moment they said that, glory disappeared. The moment you glorify glory, God departs. You know what I'm talking about. The moment you build a monument to a move of God, it departs. Don't build a monument to a movement. Just worship God. Anyway, side note. There they are praying. They want to build monuments. Bam, it all goes away except for one thing. This booming voice speaks from heaven. They hear it. And you know what the voice says? This is my beloved son, the chosen one. Hear him. Isn't that amazing? The father didn't say, follow him, do for him. None of that stuff. Watch what he does. No, no. Let me tell you who he is. To me, he is my beloved and I chose him. Now, I don't think I'd be drawing a longbow by saying that in times of waiting before the Father, Jesus was affirmed as the chosen son. I, I think I could easily prove that. And the highest thing that can order our life, listen to me, is to hear the Father saying to us, you are my beloved and with you, I'm well pleased. I remember when I took my sabbatical, almost every morning, I'd, oh God, just tell me you're pleased with me. Silence. Nothing. For months. This is one of these ones where I go, move quickly! Glory departed. Um, months. Silence. Why? God, why aren't you talking? He just quietly said, because you want me to be pleased because of what you're doing. And sometimes I'm not. How are you going to handle that? I just want to be pleased with you for who I made you to be. Who I called you to be. I had to battle with that need to be needed. I, I got revelation in the weight room. I, I had to realize the father didn't call me because he had a job for me to do. He called me because he wanted me to be his son, not his employee. He called me because he didn't want to be my boss. He wanted to be my dad. I, that was foreign to me. I didn't understand what that meant to be dad. I understand Lord. I understand save me from hell. But father, that doesn't compute. I had to learn that in the weight room. So when we go back to Luke chapter 4, it tells us at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. And you need to know this was a common practice for him. He had demands like crazy on his life, and yet he still had time to go where there was nothing but him and God. And if you don't have time to do that, then you're just too busy. Your life is out of order. And I want to tell you the other revelation that I got out of this was, the second thing was that the importance of Jesus' life was settled in these times. 
the need for significance did not determine his focus. You see, there's another innate characteristic that's hardwired into all of us that we possess, and it's for us to feel important. I need to feel important. I need to know my life counts for something. I need to know I'm not living in vain. You know, you hear this almost daily on the news. Somebody's life is tragically taken short, right? And you'll hear their parents on national news say, we're starting this campaign in honor of them because we need to know that their life did not end in vain. Right? We hear that all the time. And we see in Luke chapter 4 that, hey, Jesus is well liked by the crowd at that moment. Right? It's awesome. Listen, just a note. Be careful of the crowd. Like I said, it can be unpredictable. One moment they love you. The next minute they're crying, crucify you. Jesus was, he was of the day. He's the most popular conference speaker, healer, prophet. His name was up on LED signs. If podcasts existed in the day, you'd have had more listeners than Billy Graham or even Stephen Furtick. But you know what? Popularity didn't, popularity didn't set his course. It didn't matter to him if he was popular or not. Did you know one time he said something and it said everybody left him but the 12? And you know what he said to the 12? You want to nick off too? I'm okay with that. They went, where would we go? We've got nowhere else to go. Yeah, good comeback, guys. The deal is this, Jesus did not need the approval of somebody to be significant. We don't need that. His value was not based on how many likes he got on his current feed or how many friends he had on Facebook. Not at all. His worth was found when he waited with his father. That's what energized him and fueled him. But I know what you're thinking. You must be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, Keith. Didn't you just read us about he, he, he had a purpose to the kingdom of God, to preach, to go to the cross? Didn't he say himself he'd come to seek and to save the lost? Yeah, absolutely, I said that. But don't forget what preceded the mission. Long before he came to do the mission, he was the chosen one. The Bible actually tells us he knew that he was God's son and chosen to be God's son, the Bible says, even before the foundation of the world. This was settled in heaven. Why? Because he, he was and is and ever shall be the son of God. He was the only one who could do that mission, and he had to do that mission as a man. And he knew that. So in those moments when he got alone with his father, his father said, now, you're my son. Let's keep this at first base. And because you're my son, you can and you will. So here's a revelation. This is simple. What happens because of who? Let me say it another way. Our life's purpose comes from who the Father says we are and has made us to be. Remember the 12 stones, our maxims? Uh, one of the stones highlighted the truth that identity precedes activity, right? If you are trying to be significant out of what you do, it's going to go like this, right? What happens when you get fired from your job? What happens when they call you in and say, you know, you should be thinking about retirement, you're 55? 55, I'm earning the best money. What happens when the dream marriage becomes a nightmare? 
what happens. Still shouldn't change who you are. Because our identity has got to lead before we're defined by what we do. What happens in our life should happen because who we are in life. Not the other way. Yet the world tells us we're defined. That's why the, one of the first questions people ask you when they first meet you. So what do you do? They're about to define you. Your significance, your importance, your status in society. I'm so glad God doesn't do that. So, so tell me again who you are. Oh, I just pastor this church in Newcastle. And it's, yeah, it's not the biggest church. In, okay. You're kind of in the back rows. I got the guys with the big churches down here. I am so glad God doesn't work like that. But yet there's, there's this common thought today that if you're popular, your life has importance. Or if you're successful, then you're significant. So how does God define success? I mean, just imagine rocking up to Jesus at the Last Supper. We just kind of want to find out how important you are. We're from the Jerusalem Tribunal, and we're going to do an article on you. The life of the guy claiming to be Messiah. So we need to kind of pump it up, build it up. We need to show the people of Jerusalem that you're actually better than who they're saying you are. It's all right. Ready to write. Uh, how many books have you written? None. Oh, that's not good. How many properties have you bought and owned? What? None. Not going too well. How many businesses have you succeeded at? Well, not any really. I gave my stepfather's business to one of my brothers because I want to go around talking to people. Golly, we're not doing well here. How many people follow you? Well, I've got 12 here, but I know one of them's just gone to betray me. Dang. That's not looking good. And I know that by tomorrow, they're going to kill me. Maybe we'll go find somebody else to do the article on. Your life doesn't look too successful. How does God define success? You know, Jesus had two defining moments in Luke 4. You know what the first one was? When they wanted to kill him. Second one was, bang, everybody thinks he's it. Failure, fruit, success. Which one defines him? Neither. Neither. Because here's the deal. Being alone with the Father doesn't just give us direction. It defines us. So who does God say you are? What's God saying to you? You know, just getting ready to close. If I had to drive home anything today, I guess it would be the challenge for us to plan alone time with the Father. To, to, to kind of get into His presence and wait on purpose. And in that time, you know what's going to happen? You're going to recognize and learn what his voice sounds like. It's an interesting thing to ask people who claim to be a follower of Jesus. Have you heard God? What did he say? Because every one of us can hear God. What did he say? What did he say to you? You can get so tuned in that you know it immediately. Yeah, that's God. You recognize his voice, but you get to know his heart. 
and you'll discover your significance as his beloved. And then out of that, it's like, yes, because I hear him, because I know his heart, I know now what I can do. Because I am. You ever thought about that? Jesus had these constant statements, and so did the other writers of the New Testament. You are the light of the world. It's, he, didn't say, he didn't say, look, go buy a bulb and, and turn it on. He said, you are. You are. In essence, you have the ability to bring clarity and dispel darkness. You are the salt of the earth. You are salt. What does that mean? You bring flavor and you preserve things just because you are. You are as Paul said, living stones, or Peter, sorry, Peter said, you are living stones. And because you are solid and you are firm and you are a rock, Jesus said, I will build my church on that. You are. You are. Paul said, you are living letters written by the Spirit of God. You're not just a book on the shelf because you are living letters. People read your life every day and they see Jesus. You are. You are. You are. He didn't say go write a book. He said you are a book. He didn't say strive to be loved by God. He said you are loved by God. You're, you're called beloved. And if I, I guess if I had one thing to drive home today, it'd be this. The Father wants time with you. Because he knows there's all this crowd and voices trying to, de, trying to define you and trying to get you to believe that if you do this, you're significant. And if you own that, you are important. And if you can climb that ladder, somebody will follow you and believe in you. And so the Father's saying, just, just come away with me for a bit. Let me tell you who you are. I want to do a couple of things. Can we stand our feet as we close this morning? I want you to close your eyes for a minute. You know, if you're like me, you just kind of let this get away from you. You get so busy, so distracted, so dictated to that you don't plan and wait on purpose. And it's gotten away from you. And it's not until a crisis that you go, oh, God, I need you. And the Father says, I've been waiting for you. Why do you have to wait for a crisis? Why not live in the rhythms of grace that show you this incredible relationship where you wait on purpose and the father just begins to reveal his heart he begins to talk to you in ways that will astound you he begins to define you and then he releases you to change the world but if you're like me you've you have let the tyranny of the urgent take over your world and I can tell you I can tell you I know because the father said this to me with that I am not well pleased because it has taken first place. And the only place where you're going to get purpose and life and strength and renewal is with me. 
And in reality, what you are doing is now suffering because it hasn't got my hand on it. It's just got your effort in it. I think I'm speaking prophetically right now, people. I think I'm saying to you what the Father would say to you directly. And I know that sounds heavy and it sounds, it sounds strong, but the Father would say, come away with me. Stop making excuses. Stop letting everybody else determine your day. Be with me and walk with me and I'll give you the unforced rhythms of grace. So bow your heads, close your eyes. I believe there is a surrender moment right here, right now to this again. But you know what? Surrender's got to come out of repentance. God, I'm so sorry I let my world dictate to me and get away from me. It's taken place of time with you. I need once again to wait on purpose. This is a simple call. It's a call of change of heart. God, I need to change my heart on this and come back home to spend time with you, Father. Even, even the prodigal son said, I need to go home to Dad. Hey, it doesn't have to be sin. It can be distraction. It can be misplaced priorities. But you know right now, I've just let this get away and it's wrong. And I want you to do something, if that's you. This is not waving at me, making me feel good about the sermon. This is you surrendering to the Father. I want you to put your hands up in the air. And this is just simply out of surrender. Put your hands up in the air. And by this, you're saying, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I let other things become more important. I've let other things dictate to me how my importance is gained. Just put your hands up in the air right now and say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm coming home. I'm committing again. I'm surrendering to time with you. No one else around. Nothing else distracting. Just to be with you. Forgive me, Father. I've I've wasted the precious time that you've given. I long for that fellowship with you again. That sweet space where I did hear your voice. I knew beyond any doubt what you said to me, about me, and for me. I know the thoughts that you have for me. Those thoughts I know because I'm in your presence. So, Father, I'm coming home. Just keep your hands up. Let the Holy Spirit settle on you. Come, Holy Spirit, settle on us right now. Draw us into that secret place. Father, I know there's healing in this place. I know there's strength in this place. I know there's clarity and vision for future in this place. But Father, more than anything, I know you're there. Some of us need to relearn how to relate to you as our Father. And I pray right now, even before this day is over. We'll hear those incredible words. You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for opening the way. We thank you for showing us how to do this. We thank you that you made it possible. We stand amazed. 
incredibly amazed. Refresh our hearts and our souls. God, through this month, as we wait upon you, as we wait on purpose. Your grace is amazing. We do this because of amazing grace. And we bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.